Uh, we're going to have a tough sermon, so I'm going to get you laughing, or, well, attempt to get you laughing. Remember, if you hear a corny joke, Brenda helps me find these, and if they're good, they're from God and me. If they're bad, it's Brenda's pick, okay? Did y'all know Santa Claus is good at self-defense? How many of you knew that? Did you ever think about that? He's a black belt. You see that? Okay, tonight you go over to Russ Golden's house, and you're going to eat some eggnog and some cake, and you see a, a, a toad, a frog hanging from the ceiling. What is that? Mistletoad. Luke chapter 2 is where we will... Uh, <laughs> Luke, that was a Brenda. I told her we didn't need that in the sermon, but she went against me. Okay. Luke chapter 2, verse 1 through 7. Very familiar story. Great story. I hope this morning that we can see that there's so much depth when you dive into what really was going on 2,000 years ago. And I want to begin with this thought. It's not a pleasing thought, but it's a real thought. In life, things can be tough, but they can get worse. Now, I know what you're thinking. It's the day before, uh, two days before Christmas, you need to come to church to be beat up. We're going to start tough, and then we're going to come back and hopefully be real positive. But in life, the truth is, this morning, your situation, whatever it is, your world, it can be tough, but it can get worse. In verse 1 and 2, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Caesar Augustus, some historians say, was the greatest Roman king, Roman emperor that there was. And then he declared that there should be a census, a registration, when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. Now, historians are a little mixed up on who this Quirinius was. I believe he was probably a military governor. They had different types of, like we do, politicians and people in place. And I believe he was a military governor at this time. But the registration, this is a huge part of the story, the Jesus story and his birth. This was like our United States census. We do a census every 10 years. They did a registration every 14 years. And it was done for a couple of reasons. It was for to count people, it was for taxation, and it was for military inscription to be able to draft people into the army. Jewish people and Jewish men did not have to serve in the Roman army, but like everybody, no matter what you do or don't do, you got to pay taxes, correct? And so, so that, that, that's what's going on here. In verse 3 and 4, it says, All went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, the house of bread is what Bethlehem means, because he was of the house and the lineage of David. Kind of weird, but you had to go back, and probably it was just the men, but you had to go back to your family's place of origin. I guess for me, that would be Mena, Arkansas. Up in, That's where my dad and the kinfolk are from. And Now, this is a thousand years after David, but a lot of Jewish people, even today, can trace their, their lineage back to Moses and Aaron to that era. So it wasn't uncommon. And, and Joseph and Mary, very significantly, because the Messiah, the Christ, is going to come from the line of David, they have to go back. Joseph has to go back to Bethlehem to be registered. Now, the only problem is is it's about a 100 to 120-mile walk. And it says, if you notice, it says here, it says he went up from Galilee. Galilee's in the north. Judea's in the south. Palestine was divided in two areas to register. But I want you to look on a map. There's a couple of significant things. One, here's Nazareth. 
This is the Mediterranean Sea to give you a little bit of context. The Sea of Galilee is over here. So here's Nazareth where Jesus is going to live. That's where Joseph and Mary live. They're coming all the way down. Now, sometimes the route they would take, they would not want to go through Samaria, so they would go over here. I mean, it's really kind of crazy. And then here's Jerusalem, and then there's Bethlehem. Bethlehem's about six miles uh, south-southwest from Jerusalem, and it's rugged terrain, tough to get through. But if you notice, you do not have to be a geography expert. That's north and that's south, so the Bible has to be wrong here, correct? You've been looking for a loophole. The Bible's wrong because it says he went up, but obviously they went down. Well, what it's talking about here is not a north-south thing. It's talking about an elevation thing. Jerusalem sat and does today, about 1,200 to 1,400 feet higher than Nazareth. So when you were walking to Jerusalem from Nazareth, even if it was north to south, you were going up. Now, it's also very interesting. Jericho is 17 miles from Jerusalem. It's 17 miles from Jerusalem. And it sits 1,200 feet below sea level. Jerusalem sits 2,400 feet above sea level. So it's very possible even when Joseph and Mary were traveling, they had to go. They might have gone, come through Jericho. And then it's almost, I mean, it's an incline for 17 miles. That's pretty quick until they get to Jerusalem. They've got a pregnant woman with you too, by the way. Think about that. So when it talks about them going up, the Bible's not wrong. Isn't that pretty neat? Not that any of you doubted that, but I just thought that's a very interesting and important tidbit. It says in verse 5, They went to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who is with child. They're not married yet. If you've been here the last few weeks, we talked about the betrothed stage, the pledge stage, a one-year period uh, before it's it's after the engagement that may have happened when they were kids. Then you're in that pledge, betrothed stage, and then the marriage formal. Now, it says in Matthew 1 that Joseph heard from the angel. He took Mary as his wife. He did not have sex with her until... Uh, after the baby was born, virgin birth, uh, virgin conception, the whole thing, which is true. That may have been looking at the big picture. All we know is when they left to go from Nazareth down to Bethlehem, they still aren't married. Now, this is very unusual because an engaged couple did not do things alone or a betrothed couple did not do things alone in this day. What happened? And, and, and a lot of scholars believe that the woman did not have to be registered anyway. Why is she with Joseph. That's part of the story this morning. Did, did she and Joseph realize, hey, look, this is the Messiah. We got to get to Bethlehem for him to be born. That's possible. Uh, is it possible, too, that her parents and her family said, you know, we love you, but we don't really buy into the virgin birth at this particular time because Joseph didn't. Even Mary was confused about it first. Maybe she didn't have a place to live and Joseph had to take her with him. Maybe he knew he was going to be gone for an extended period of time, and which would have resulted in her being left alone, maybe abused. Whatever it was, he starts on a 100-mile to 110-mile walk. Maybe she rode on a donkey. Maybe she didn't. With a woman that's over eight and a half months pregnant. How many of you men who've had children would say that would be difficult? How many? What a bunch of cowards. How many of you women say that would be difficult? I asked my wife this week. She's like, are you that dumb? Of course it would be terrible. It would be terrible. So, hmm, she's pregnant. They have to explain to people that, no, we did not have sex, that this is from the Holy Spirit. It's from God. It's supernatural. That's a pretty tough conversation to have with people. Joseph didn't believe it at first. And then now all of a sudden this registration comes up late in the pregnancy, and they've got to make a... 100 to 110 mile walk uphill to get there. But the story continues 
on a weird twist. In verse 6, while they're there, the time came for her to give birth. Undoubtedly, they had some family there, but the family must not have been that great because they didn't let them stay in their house when they got there. That's real convenient, isn't it? I mean, I'm assuming that it would be better to have the king of kings born in the temple courtyard than it would be in Bethlehem in verse 7 where he's born. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. You know, swaddling, that's where you kind of wrap the baby up, you bundle the baby, and that was obviously big in the Joseph and Mary day. That's come back. Did you know that? Many of you young parents probably do know that. And they talk about how that, that's good for the limbs and straighten the body and it comforts them and may help with anxiety. And that they debate how long do you do it to the baby's two. I really think through the teenage years, don't y'all? Y'all get ready to go on a date? Let's swaddle them. Amen, mom and dad? Swat, double swaddle for the date, right? The prom. They look good in their swaddling dress and swaddling tucks for the prom. And it says they laid Jesus in this beautiful baby bed, ancestral baby bed that King David himself had laid in, right? No, it says they laid him in a manger. Do you know what a manger is, by the way? Away in a manger. It's an animal feeder. It's an animal trough. It just doesn't make sense to sing away in a cattle feeder, does it? This cartoon I saw this week I just wanted to share with you. We don't know for In the Greek, it says that, but y'all can't read Greek, so you would know if it's in there or not, right? You know, you look at Joseph and Mary. They had a situation that was awkward and difficult, and it just kept getting worse and worse and worse and worse, didn't it? Go back in your head 2,000 years ago. Don't sanitize it today with a tree in a pretty manger. And think about this. This situation continued to intensify, and to be tough. And, and the truth is, in your life this morning, and I say this often, maybe you're in a great spot today. Some of you aren't in a great spot today, and life is hard. I want to tell you something, and, and I don't, we're going to have some solutions in a second. It may get worse before it gets better. And, and you go, well, man, my life is rocking. Your life could unrock tomorrow. If you live much longer, you're going to have problems, and sometimes those problems are going to get worse before they get better. Why does that happen? Sometimes it's part of God's plan. Sometimes it's the devil attacking you. Sometimes we just do dumb things, and we intensify our problems, and then we continue to do dumb things to make them worse and worse and worse. I want to tell you something that's beautiful this morning. It's great. Here's the second big thought this morning. No matter what's going on in your life, God is trying to work in your life and situation. No matter how bad it is, no matter how difficult it is. Now listen, you're going to be the key because God's going to do his part. God is trying to work in your life and your situation. And if you sit smugly and everything's great, call me in a month or two when it falls apart. I will be there for you, I promise you. But this is real. Life can be tough, it can get worse, but God is trying to work. Romans 8, 28 is a verse every person should memorize. I learned it years ago in a different translation. It says, and we know that in all things, God is working for the good to those who love him, those who are called according to his purpose, who belong to him. Let me paraphrase you what that's saying. That verse is not saying all things are good because all things are not good. That, that Bible, the verse is not saying that God is uh, creating bad things. It doesn't say all things are from God. What it says, if you love God, 
and you're trying to live for God. Maybe you've made a mess for your life, but you'll come back to God. No matter what happens, if you will get on page with God and keep your hand in God's hand, God can work it out for the best and your best. Is that not wonderful? That's the promise of life. In other words, when we have a mess, even if we've created the mess, if we will get back where we need to be with God, God can put his hand in our mess and make a masterpiece. You need to hear that this morning, or you will need to hear that in the near future, I promise you. Let me tell you two things I think that that, that helps us or we need to know with this. God can use all sorts of outward circumstances for our best. For your best and the best. Outward circumstance, things you can't control, things, things beyond your ability to have anything to do with, hurricanes, tornadoes, governments, all kinds of things. If you let him, God will work in those things for your best and for the best. I won't read it all again, but verse 1 through 7, she's pregnant. She's scared. She's excited. She's 13 years old probably. Joseph doesn't believe her. But he's a great guy, and he's going to divorce her, but he's going to do it in the right way. The angel appears to him, and he, he, he says, I'll do it. This is right. That's pretty tough and awkward. Would you agree? And then, then they get word that the, that the king has said, you've got to go to your hometown to register for the taxes. Well, wow, that's always exciting, isn't it? And that means you put your work on hold. That means you put your life on hold. And for whatever reason, whether it was because they knew they needed to go to Bethlehem or she was being abused, she had no place to stay. He's not even supposed to be seen alone with an engaged woman. But they, he takes Mary. Tough, hard journey. And they get there and there's not a place to stay and it's time for the baby to be born. The baby couldn't be born back in Nazareth where their family and mama and them are. It's got to be born in Bethlehem, where nobody will even give him a place to stay because he's laid in a manger because he was born in a barn. We don't know if that was a literal barn or, a, or an open-air corral. The traditional site in Bethlehem today is a cave, and it may have been a cave, but it was a barn. And Jesus is born in a barn, and his baby bed is a cattle feeder. Those are circumstances that are really weird. But let me tell you something. God was all in the middle of that. I don't know if Joseph and Mary, I know they didn't fully comprehend everything. And I don't know if they fully got that we need to get to Bethlehem because the Micah 5.2 in the Old Testament, Micah 5.2 says the Messiah, the Christ, is going to be born in Bethlehem. But I want to tell you, God made sure they got there, didn't he? And I want to tell you this morning, some of us, God may be trying to get us someplace and he's going to have to use all kinds of outward circumstances and situations to get us there. If you're taking notes, write this down. It's not original with me, but man, it is profound. God is not primarily interested in your comfort and your convenience. God's interested in your obedience. And when you obey God, that's where you find peace. And it may be swirling all around you, but you're comfortable and at peace on the inside. You see, a lot of people in Ruston, we are comfortable. And we live in convenience, but we're not at peace. And we're not where God wants us to be. If you don't remember anything else, remember this. As much as God loves you, your comfort and your convenience are not his primary concern. He wants you to obey him. And no matter what's going on around us that we have no control over, 
What a beautiful thing it is to know that if we will stay with God, that God will work and he's working to do something great in our life, in our world, if we'll let him. You know, I watch the news too much, probably, and it's discouraging. And, and it's scary. As a, as a Christian, I don't know, I know a little bit about politics. I know some about the Bible. And I just feel like we're going a weird direction as a country. I'm not talking about Republican, Democrat. I'm talking about morally and ethically. And it scares me. And, and, and I think, God, why couldn't I have been born 50 years ago? Wouldn't it have just been easier? Like happy days? Like every, you know, and that's a, that's a fantasy because all, all generations, it's tough. But, you know, God whispers in my ear occasionally, maybe whispering in your ear too, you were born for a time like this. I've got you here now for a reason. You're not an accident. America may go to ruin or it may go to revival. Let's, let's help it go to revival. Amen? You see, the circumstances around us can break us or they can make us. Joseph and Mary, don't you sweeten it up and pretty it up. It was tough. But those circumstances, God was in the middle of it. devil may have been trying to discourage them. He was trying to get them to quit. But God was in the middle of it, encouraging them and pushing them and leading them on. He's trying to do the same thing with you and me this morning. See, sometimes God's got to push you to a barn to make something happen. <laughs> a barn in Bethlehem for you and me, who knows where that barn may be. But he's got to get us there. You know, muscles grow from resistance. That's how you grow too. I read this week a story of, of the biosphere in Arizona. If you don't know what a biosphere is, it's like a greenhouse where people live. And they created this biosphere, a three-acre greenhouse in the desert. And, you know, people were in there for a couple of years, and they're all like super smart people. They're not like preachers. They're like scientists and engineers. They're people who can do stuff, right? Not like preachers. And so they're, they're creating a, an environment. It's supposed to be perfect because there's no outside global warming. There's no, you know, inside stuff. Everything is controlled and perfect. But you know what they noticed after uh, several years is that the trees, the branches of the trees were not strong enough to support the fruit. And you know what they deducted, what the reason was? There was no wind in there. There was no resistance where those trees were growing up to strengthen and develop those limbs where they could hold the fruit. See, God may be bringing some wind in your life so you can bear fruit. God's got to do some stuff in our lives to make us stronger and better. And I think you would agree he certainly was doing those things in Joseph and Mary, and I'm telling you he's trying to do them in yours too. Listen, let God work in your circumstances and your situations. I want to make it more personal too, though. It's easy to talk about the country or what's going on out there. God can use your pain and suffering, your personal pain and suffering for the best, impact others, and your best. In other words, the hardships and the stuff that you're facing. So for Joseph and Mary, maybe it was the gossip, the, the, the family shunning them. The wonderful family in Bethlehem who today, 2,000 years ago, still gets kicked because they made, the, they made them stay in the barn instead of giving up a room. And some of you right now, you're going through some things or you're going to be. It's health problems. It's family problems. It's kid problems. It's parents' problems. You're going to see somebody in the next few days who's your crazy family member. 
Do you have any crazy family members? Some of you are the crazy family member, aren't you? You can't raise your hand. I always get tickled. People come in and go, my family's dysfunctional. Every family is weird. Read Genesis 3 and 4 when you get home. The first couple, one of the boys kills his brother. That's how humanity got started. That's pretty weird. Amen? That's pretty dysfunctional. And you've got pain. But I want to tell you, Romans 8.28 applies to you personally. In all things, in all things, God's trying to work together for your good and the good. God's trying to shape you and make you and draw you close to Him. And everything that was happening in Joseph and Mary's life, God was developing them and getting them ready to be the parents of Jesus Christ. He was getting to the place where they were supposed to be. And God's trying to do that in your life too. Michael Catt is a pastor in Georgia. You may not know the name, but in the church he pastors is the church that put out the movie Fireproof. And what's another one of those brand in Fireproof? What was the football movie? Facing the Giants. So you, you know those movies probably. Michael Catt went to that church. I, I don't know, maybe a church of 3,000 today. When he went there, it may have been a church of 1,500. But it was a troubled place. About 1,000 members left the church angrily. And your business, if, if 75% of your customers leave, that's difficult. Even if they're not brain surgeons. I mean, if it's whatever. Cat said he was talking to one of his minister's friends because he was really depressed. He said, I don't know what to do. Should I, should I resign? Should I leave? What should I do? He said, I want to jump out of the window, but, I, but my office is on the first floor. I would just sprain my ankle. I don't know what to do. And his friend said, Michael, has this caused you to pray more? He goes, oh, my goodness, it's caused me to pray more. Michael, has this caused you to depend on God more? He goes, oh, my goodness, it's caused me to depend on God more. He goes, I don't know what else God will do in that, but I want to tell you, listen, anything that causes you to pray more and to lean in God more, there's good coming out of it. You see, this morning, even this morning, God is trying. He's putting some pressure on some of you. You need to give your life to Christ today. And God, God's putting pressure on you Right now, to get you to give to make an eternal decision for him this morning. Some of you are Christians. And man, you were close to God. You lived for God. You shared God. You loved God. Now, now you, you best thing you do religious-wise is criticize. Or you have opinions. Or you talk about how it used to be. And God may be putting his thumb on you to get you to come back to him. You see, God wants you... In, Everything he's trying to get your attention and bring you back to him and bring you closer to him. Everyone in here knows probably who the singer Bono is. I called him Bono in the first service, and I caught a lot of flack. It's Bono in the Greek, by the way. Bono sings for you too, and you know he's a Christian. And I don't know if it was last year or it's in the last 12, 18 months, he had a really bad bicycle wreck in New York City. Hurt him really bad. And, and he said, and this was an interview in January, this last January in Rolling Stone magazine, that as he has been suffering and getting better, he's been reading a lot of the Psalms. And as he reads a lot of the beautiful Psalms, he said he noticed that God used David 
for a lot of his best work when life was terrible. When he was in the despair, when the surroundings and situations were terrible, when personally he was depressed, he was anxious, he didn't know what was going to happen in his life. And Bono said, I hate this, I hate this, I hate this. But sometimes God has got to stick you in the cave of despair and break you to remake you. And Bono said, I'm writing some of my deepest and best music now from my pain that I've ever done. Man, I don't want God to break you. I do not want God to break me. Sometimes he's got to break us to remake us. Sometimes he's got to put some difficult circumstances and situations around us to make us better. Charles Spurgeon was a great preacher in the 1800s, and he said, Many men and many women owe the grandeur of their life to their tremendous suffering. Wow. We look back and we go, Man, it was that event, it was that pain, it was that suffering that shaped me and made me who the person that I am today. You see, when bad things happen, you either get better or you get bitter. You either move away from God or you get closer to God. And again, I challenge you, you read this story and you you go back 2,000 years ago to where they were, how difficult it was, but God was trying to work the whole time. So here's my challenge for you this morning. Let God work in your life. Let Him work. Will you let Him work? See, Joseph and Mary had a choice. They weren't robots. They weren't programmed. Might be interesting we get to heaven to find out how many other people maybe the angel talked to before Joseph and Mary said, yep, we'll we'll be the ones. We don't know. But they said yes, knowing that it was going to be tough. And man, we look today how their decision impacted them and how it impacts us so much 2,000 years ago. You see, so much is at stake not just for you, but for your kids and your grandkids. We make decisions. We especially make them in our pain and suffering that don't just affect us. They affect all those people around us. Will you let God work in your pain today? Will you let Him this year work in your suffering? When things are hard all around you, will you stay close to God? Thank God Joseph and Mary did. How many of you, you better not lie, how many of you like presents? Bailey, raise your hand. (laughs) Bailey was crawling around our Christmas tree like a squirrel the other night looking for packages with whose name on it. Correct. But that's normal, right? Bailey, I've been doing the same thing. I just wait till nobody's home so I won't look silly. We, We like getting gifts, Norman Vincent Peale wrote The Power of Positive Thinking. He was a great preacher and writer. And he said this. He said, sometimes when God wants to give you a gift, he wraps it up in a problem. And sometimes the bigger the gift, the bigger the problem. Here's what I want to challenge you. You open that gift. You keep your hand in God's hand, and you know no matter what you face, your God's bigger. And that God's trying to work in that, in your life, to do something great, if you'll let Him. Would you pray with me? 
If you're a Christian, boy, I hope, I pray that you will bend your heart to Jesus this morning. Bend it back to Him. Surrender to Him. You're here this morning and you're, you're not a Christian or you're unsure if you're a Christian, but you're ready today to cross that line with Christ. Pray with me. You just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to turn from my sins. And Jesus, I believe you're God's son and that you died for me and arose for me. Jesus, come into my heart and I surrender my life to you. Let me have your attention. We're going to stand in just a second. And when we do, I want to challenge you to respond. You're here today and you just ask Christ in your life or you're ready to. You, you can, when we stand, you can come this morning and give your life to Christ. Maybe you don't want to walk an aisle. I'll be over at this door after church. You come today. You come. Don't leave the building without giving your life to Christ. Maybe you'd like to join the church. You can do that when we stand to sing. Or you can do that after church. But you need a church. And we need you if God's leading you here. Come and join us. Christian, maybe where you're standing, maybe at the altar, on your knees, or praying with a minister, maybe you need to say to God, God, I'm coming back to you. I'm going to... I'm not going to worry about my comfort and convenience. I'm going to follow you. Maybe you just want to come and pray because the problems or the burdens are overwhelming. Let's stand. And I challenge you.